are Locked On NFL, your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On NFL, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast at Locked On NFL Pods. Of course, you can listen to Locked On Packers every day of the week. And uh, we are here for your Monday show, the biggest stories and the local experts bringing you those stories. That's what we do here on Monday. Of course, our Monday show brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Week 7 in the NFL did not have a ton of marquee matchups in the early window. We did have some games that told us a lot about who the best teams in the league were. Part of the reason for that first part is the Ravens were on a bye, the Colts were on a bye, the Dolphins, the surprise Dolphins were on a bye. But we did have some games that have major repercussions for what is to come here when we're talking about playoff seeding. The Saints get a win against the Carolina Panthers, 27-24. to The Chiefs blow out the Broncos, 43-16. The 49ers, and we're going to talk about the Patriots, but the 49ers look like they are back, 33-6. to They get a win. Of course, we have to talk about the thriller on Sunday night. Aaron Rodgers throws four touchdown passes in the early window against the Texans, and the Packers bounce back beating Houston 35-20. to The Lions win late 23-22 in a thriller. The Browns get a win. We're going to talk about the Browns a little bit later, 37-34. to And the Steelers and the Titans in a matchup of undefeateds, one of the few matchups in Week 7 or later in NFL history between undefeated teams. And Monday night is another big game in the NFC, bears rams Of course, Ross Jackson and Luke Braun will be on the call for you tomorrow to break all of that down. But let's start with the terrific game from Sunday night. The Seattle Seahawks unbeaten no longer because the Seattle Seahawks are incapable of playing a normal game in primetime. The Seahawks-Cardinals game on Sunday night was an absolute crazy game. It was drunk like seven different times. And ultimately, the Arizona Cardinals pull out a ridiculous 37-34 overtime win. Joining me from Locked On Cardinals, Bo Brack and Bo. This was one of those games where both teams tried desperately to pull defeat from the jaws of victory. And... (laughs) And ultimately, the Cardinals were able to make the plays late. If you'd have told me before the game Russell Wilson was going to throw three interceptions, I would have told you the Cardinals won this game going away. Still, this has to be uh, on the list of of the most impressive wins of the year so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of the tenure of Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray as well. I mean, this is their second season and. I mean, they had a signature win earlier this at, to start 2020 against San Francisco, and now to get another one against yep. an unbeaten Seahawks team, it's huge. It's huge for this team and, and where they want to go at 5-2 and two now going into the bye week. 
And uh, I mean, you talk about it. I, I always like to say it's like Stefan from SNL. I mean, this game had everything, right? And <laughs> things that you didn't even expect. The three picks from Russell Wilson, Isaiah Simmons, the first round pick who has barely seen the playing field is the one that comes up with the interception. And this was following a DK Metcalf potential touchdown to win the game. But it's, you know, taken off the board because of a holding call. It was just an incredible Wild finish in the desert last night. And man, for the Cardinals to come out of there with the victory is huge for what this football is trying to accomplish coming off a five-win season previous to 2020. Yeah, it's remarkable. The the two biggest DK Metcalf plays of the game are not going to show up in the offensive box score because the touchdown Mm -hmm. didn't count. And the the other big play was the touchdown-saving tackle on Buda Baker, which I still... Bo, I still don't know how he did that. Uh, That was... Buda Baker runs four four five, and DK Metcalf <laughs> chased him down from thirty yards away. But what's what's remarkable to me is I wanted to have you on because I'm sitting here, you know, in the middle of the game. The Cardinals are down ten. I'm looking at the schedule. Okay, you know, they have the close win to San Francisco. 49ers were not what what we've seen the last few weeks, and then you start looking at the wins. The wins are not particularly impressive. The losses are are kind of ugly to mediocre teams. I was going to be like, hey, are, are, do, are we sure the Cardinals are good? Now we have to have a conversation that's like, hey, how good can the Cardinals be? Yeah, and it's a fair question, and it goes as far as what they can do defensively because when you watched Sunday Night Football and you saw this defense kind of – it was rough in the first half. They gave up over 300 total yards of offense to Russell Wilson. Him and Tyler Lockett were making big play after big play. And, you know, outside of a Russell Wilson first-half pick, I mean, there was no way that they were getting off the field. Um, and and then Vance Joseph in his, in his defensive unit, they only give up seven points in the second half. And they're making big-time plays on third yep. down and getting that offense back on the field. Make uh, another couple interceptions between the second half and overtime. And, uh, you know, if this defense can play at a high level and make stops necessary, obviously the the pieces there offensively for them to get the job done. But, uh, you know, going into the game, they did only give it up, you know, the second least amount of points in the NFL. And, you know, you were kind of scratching your head. Is, is, was that defense going to show up or was it, you know, because of the schedule and the weakness, uh, you know, playing Washington, playing the Jets in Dallas with Andy Dalton. But uh, they made the plays necessary to get it done on Sunday night. And and this defense, you mentioned it, you know, Isaiah Simmons ha- has barely played really. But the rest of this defense, I mean, they're, they're guys at every position with speed, uh, they have Hassan Riddick playing a position that seems like it's better suited to his game. He made some big plays, had the overtime sack, Vance Joseph. You mentioned the the late game calls. I mean, some of the, the pressures late. Russell Wilson got fooled on the Isaiah Simmons interception. Yeah. They ran a similar look, you know, about a half dozen times over the last handful of plays. And the the neither the Seahawks nor Russell Wilson knew where the pressure was coming it does seem like there is some ability here and and they're not even at full strength right now. Right. I mean, Chandler Jones is done for the season with a biceps tear. And uh, you mentioned Reddick and and Buda Baker is a guy you see 32 flying around the field, 14 tackles on Sunday night. Incredible. Uh, As the pick, uh, you know, DK Metcalf is the freeze. Uh, He's the in between innings (laughs) for the Braves and he's chasing down (laughs) Buda Baker with a miraculous tackle. And then Reddick, I mean, that's their 2017 draft class. That's I've been so critical of Steve Kime, their general manager in 2017. 
next thing you know, I mean, these guys are developing and they're the biggest players on defense on Sunday night and get them a big victory. Son Reddick was making plays even in pass defense, but he's been so good at getting to the quarterback with five sacks. It's it's really incredible um, that, you know, what's coming together and, and the fact that they're five and two. And we're sitting here talking more about the defensive plays than we're talking about this offense and Kyler Murray, for you know, throws for three touchdowns. We're talking about DeAndre Hopkins game where he has 10 catches for 103 yards and a beautiful touchdown catch. But uh, yeah, yep. they've just got playmakers. First game in NFL history, two quarterbacks with 300 yards passing and 50 yards rushing. And when you look at the landscape of the NFC, let's just say the Cardinals don't win the West. There is not a team outside uh, the, that division that, and, and inside that division that wants to see them in, let's say, a 2-7 or a 3-6 or a 4-5. None of those teams that are going to be hosting home playoff games are going to want anything to do with this Cardinals team the way that they look right now. Bo, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Peter. Much more to get to on today's show, of course. But before we do that, let's talk about Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. In what feels like a rare occurrence in 2020, the marquee matchup of the weekend lived up to the hype. The Pittsburgh Steelers and Tennessee Titans put together a thriller on Sunday. Pittsburgh coming out on top 27-24. But the Titans had plenty of opportunities late after going down early. Joining me now to talk about this game, Tyler Rowland from Locked on Titans. And and Tyler, I have to admit that although the, the Titans lost, I came away more impressed with them than I was going into this game. Is that un, is that unreasonable? No, and actually uh, on Twitter, at Tic Tac Titans, my Twitter account, I tweeted out that exact thing after the game. This game, although the Titans lost in what some could consider heart-wrenching fashion, yeah. <laughs> I don't really consider it that, but but some in the fan base may say so. Uh, I feel better about the Titans as a Super Bowl contender after this game than I did coming into this game. This proved a couple of things for me that, that I really wanted to see, especially in that second half. So although the Titans did come away with the loss, I, I feel pretty good about them as one of the top teams in the league based on what they showed in the game. Let me explain why I feel that way, and then I would love to get your take on it. When I saw the score, you know, the halftime score is 27 or, 20, excuse me, 24-7. And I'm just like, yeah, the Titans are done. They're not built to come back. Uh, it's not what they're good at. It's not what the offense is meant to do. And so they're just done. And then all of a sudden, you know, A.J. Brown starts doing stuff and the the Titans defense comes through. And all of a sudden, now they're they're in this game with a chance to to tie it late. I I felt like that was the kind of game they could not be competitive in if they get down early, and and they proved me one hundred percent wrong. Yeah, I I feel I guess I wouldn't say they proved me wrong because I believed in them maybe a little bit more than the than the national <laughs> consensus, of course. But uh, viewing everything through my two tone 
colored lenses. But I'll go three-prong quickly. On offense, you're right. They prove that even when game flow doesn't go their direction, Ryan Tannehill can stand in there. And especially against a Steelers pass rush with Watt and Dupree and Hayward and Tua, oh, yeah. that's fantastic. The defense all around is fantastic. The Titans got down big and proved that even down big, they can still score. They can still have Derrick Henry involved who, you know, got a couple of big runs late in the game as well to keep a minute. Their superstars on offense are not just scheme. I think that's really what we learned is the offensive scheme isn't the only thing making this go. There are superstars in place in A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill who can get it done on defense. The Titans defense You've seen a Super Bowl formula before with a really fantastic offense and a defense that maybe not be great, but it can force turnovers. And even though the Titans lost the game, they forced three turnovers, had more opportunities. And if they get a Dory Jackson back, who's been designated to return from IR at cornerback, the Titans got picked on at the outside cornerback position with Ty Smith and Jonathan Joseph. So if they can get a Dory Jackson back and get hot and force some turnovers like they have been throughout the year, combine that with the offense, I feel pretty good pretty good about where they are defensively outside of that terrible first half. They prove they can play good defense late in the game. Well, and you look at, you know, someone like Jayon Brown, uh, you know, Great game. leads the team, leads the team in tackles, has the interception, uh, broke up four other passes. And I think you can make the case that, that there was maybe one or two more that, that he was involved with or affected. So mm-hmm. when you're getting that kind of contribution and you have someone like AJ Brown, who against a really good Steelers secondary and pass defense yes. is breaking off these. I mean, it has the 73 yarder, of course, uh, but but is also just play to play, able to give you what you need. Uh, I think this team, we've seen it against the best teams in the AFC. The Tennessee Titans can hang with these guys going back to last year. I feel like you have to think that that they belong in the conversation with Kansas City and Baltimore and Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty fair top four. And that's, I guess, the general, the macro view of this game is from the last few weeks, it's just obvious last year's Tennessee Titans team wasn't a fluke. Uh, right. A.J. Brown, six catches, 153 yards and a touchdown. They have players who step up when it matters most. And Jayon Brown, like you said, he had an interception himself off a tip pass by Jeffrey Simmons, but he also, one of those pass breakups, was the final interception that got the Titans the ball back. He broke up a pass in the back of the end zone that turned into an Amani Hooker interception. So the Titans had playmakers all over the field, and Kevin Byard, Jeffrey Simmons, Jayon Brown, A.J. Brown also Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, they they had their stars make plays when the team needed it most. And I think that's an encouraging thing for them going forward as they look to get a little healthier on defense. And just for fun, I was watching, you know, obviously I have to watch the Packers game as well, but I went back and, and watched more of this game. And then I looked at the schedules. I know the Packers and the Titans play at the end of the season. But if you look at the two schedules... I mean, this could be one of those big time heavyweight bouts late in the year where where both of these teams have like 11 or 12 wins and they're both, uh, you know, in the conversation as as the best team in their conference. That could be a really fun uh, potential even Super Bowl preview late in the year. Yeah, week six, 
Week 16 matchup should be an excellent football game. I mean, obviously, that's far down the road, but you look at where both teams are, and especially this week, I think both teams kind of put some narratives to rest, even though the Titans lost. The Titans, like I said, proved that their season wasn't a fluke, and then the Packers rebound after an embarrassing loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and whoop up on a team that they should beat in the Houston Texans. So both teams, I think, had a pretty good week in terms of what their future potential actually is. And I can't wait for that game personally. Some family ties there with the with the Packers for me. So that'll be an excellent game to to get our hands on late in the season. I can't wait. And uh, say hi to your family for me. I appreciate you, Tyler. <laughs> Will do. Thank you so much, Peter. A few weeks ago, it felt like the Patriots were in a position where they had made this great call. Cam Newton was looking great. And now just a few short weeks later, we're staring at the ugly end of a 33-6 defeat at the hands of the San Francisco 49ers. Cam Newton throws three interceptions before giving way to Jared Stidham, who throws an interception of his own. And the New England Patriots looking outclassed, outcoached, and at a potential crossroads this soon into the season is certainly not something I think most of us would have predicted. Joining me now from Locked on Patriots, Mike DeBate. And Mike, I guess this, the basic question here is where do the Patriots go from here? Well, that's going to be the question that's going to be asked throughout the week up here in New England, really throughout all of NFL media, Peter. I think your question is excellent. And for lack of a better term, I wish I had a great answer for you. Uh, the New England <laughs> Patriots right now do find themselves at a little bit of a crossroad. Uh, they haven't had to worry about the quarterback position like this in quite some time. I still have faith in Cam Newton to be able to come back and write the ship, play better than he has. But he clearly looks like a different player than we saw in the first couple of weeks. Cam was crazy. He was completing his passes. He was definitely looking a lot more comfortable in this New England Patriots offense. I don't know if it's uh, you know either injury or the time that he missed due to COVID. If that set him back, if it uh, you know regressed him a little bit in terms of his preparation. But he's clearly not the same player. The last couple yeah. of weeks, we saw seedlings of this against the Denver Broncos last week, and then of course in this game against the San Francisco 49ers, just completely, completely out of sorts, throwing for less than 100 yards, uh, throwing three interceptions, um, uncharacteristically holding the ball way too long, uh, things that. Really really yeah. need to be picked up um, are simply not being picked up. And, and at this point, the New England Patriots definitely are, are in a hole. They're two and four this late in the season for the first time in a good long while. And uh, a lot of questions are going to be asked in New England this week. So I don't believe that they're going to come off the rails. I don't think there's going to be any drastic change. Uh, I think Jarrett came in, uh, you know, in uh, in this one against the 49ers simply because the game was out of hand. I don't think we're looking at a changing of the guard in New England. But at this point, you have to wonder if Cam continues to struggle. Jarrett Stidham didn't look like the answer against San Francisco. Yeah, where do the Patriots go from here? I think it's the question of the week in the NFL. And of course, you know, I was joking with you before we came on that no one is is going to shed any tears for what's going on in New England. It it is something that I think uh, if a lot of fans are being honest, they're going to relish if this is that kind of season. But the AFC East uh, is still kind of a mess. And, and it's not like anyone thinks that the Dolphins are suddenly going to win 12 games. So it's not like they're out of this. This could just be one bad game, right? 
It's definitely possible. I mean, when you look at what the Patriots were able to do, uh, was very they were very impressive in their win over the Dolphins, very impressive in their loss to the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, they hung right there with them and yep. almost pulled out a, a pretty near uh, you know a victory at the end of that game. Uh, they looked very good against the Raiders. The Patriots minus Cam Newton with a combination of Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham looked relatively good on defense against the defending Super Bowl champions. The last couple of weeks have yeah. really been the anomaly to this season. So I will caution New England Patriots fans, and I think you said this eloquently, it could end up being a bad game, a bad stretch. New England comes back. We all remember a few years ago when everyone declared that the dynasty was dead. They went on to go ahead and beat Cincinnati in the famous we're on a Cincinnati press conference from Bill Belichick, yep. and they won Super Bowl Forty Nine that year. So things can be rid. I don't think that they're at that level. I don't expect it from the Patriots, if I'm being completely honest. But I don't think the wheels are necessarily off the wagon just yet. There are definitely uh, you know, ways to improve, and there's still enough talent on this team to make it a competitive race in the AFC East. Yeah, that that, uh, that reference is something that that has certainly been been talked about uh, in in my circles with the Packers after the the Buccaneers game. Hey, remember the the Patriots got their doors blown off and still went on to go to the Super Bowl. I do wonder though, you know, one or two more of these, if it starts to be, hey, you know, Trevor Lawrence is pretty good, and Justin Fields <laughs> is pretty good, and Trey Lance is pretty good, and there's a lot of these guys who look like they could be long-term solutions in New England. I'm not saying, Mike, but I'm I'm just saying. Uh, and I think a lot of people aren't saying, but just saying. And I think you hit the nail right <laughs> on the head, Peter. I think it's a lot of uh, question marks now. And if the Patriots are able to string together a couple, if they come in against Buffalo and they look impressive, uh, they get the Jets the following week, which could be the ultimate cure-all for this team. But they need to write the ship right away. They cannot wait for that two-week Monday nighter. They need to get this ship right against the Buffalo Bills. And that is not an easy task. We've seen the Bills look you know, formidable. Uh, this year, that's a division opponent. You never, ever want to, uh, you know, come into that with any type of, oh, well, this is the game we're going to get. Uh, Buffalo is going to have a lot to say about that. They're looking, you know, every bit of uh, the division leaders on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, especially right now. But there are, you know, measures that can be, uh, uh, you know, taken as well. If this team does start to sputter, you're going to hear a lot of rumblings about tanking for Trevor. You know, <laughs> uh, failing for Fields is another one that I saw trending on Twitter during uh, Sunday's game. Like so, you, yeah, you have to look at uh, a lot of those, and I'm sure the fan base is going to be all over that. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Again, like I said, uncharted territory in New England to worry about the quarterback position and and really the record of two and four this late in October. The Patriots now are looking at a winless month of October for the first time in a long while. And uh, bitter pill to swallow. But again, uh, you know, you have to regroup. You have to do the best you can and try to uh, to come back as, as strongly as, as they can. And they still have Bill Belichick on the sideline. Last I checked, the guy had still had a pretty good record. So we'll see what happens. Well, just just remember, everyone out there is pulling for you guys, Mike. So just, you know, take solace in that. The, the, the rest of the league is, is on your side. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Anytime, Peter. Thanks for having me on today. All right, before we finish up, let's talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and it's become even more delicious with six new flavors, including caramel brownie, apple almond crisp, carrot cake, cookies, and cream. And that's to go with stalwarts like salted caramel, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie. All of these joints are 100% covered in chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew, 
And best of all, they're low in sugar, low in calories, high protein, high fiber. So they're good for a snack if you just want a healthy snack that tastes delicious or you're a health conscious person and you need a little bit of energy and you want to maximize those macros, those nutrients. You want to put the best fuel you can into your body that doesn't taste like garbage. Not only does Built Bar not taste like garbage, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code Locked On to get 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Though it wasn't a marquee matchup per se, uh, Browns-Bengals produced plenty of fireworks. The Browns ultimately get to 5-2 and two in a 37-34 win over the Bengals. Baker Mayfield, five touchdown passes, almost 300 yards, a 135.6 quarterback rating. But the big news coming out of this game is Odell Beckham Jr. is feared to have a serious injury. Jeff Lloyd from Lockdown Browns joining me now. And Jeff, uh, this was a team that last week did not play particularly well against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But this offense looks like it got its legs under it a little bit, even with the injury that I mentioned. So what do you make of what's going on here and how big a deal is this Odell Beckham Jr. injury if it is indeed serious and and potentially season ending? Well, the first thing you look at at is on the surface, yeah, you think it's a big injury. But for Baker Mayfield and the troubles he had in 2019, the troubles he's had in 2020, and then you see where he went to today after the 0 for 5 first quarter, Obviously, the play early in the game, the interception where Odell was the feature receiver, and I'm not exactly sure what his game plan was there on that tackle. J.C. Treader went down, and you're really nervous as far as covering the Browns. Like, oh, man, here we go again. This team is going to put together a lackluster effort against a team that they should easily dispose of. But after that, and now all those statistics you spoke of, those are from the second quarter on. So five touchdown passes almost 300 yards. And what made Baker so successful as a rookie in 2018 was it was the Darren Fellses of the world. It was the David Njoku's. It was the Rashard Higgins. Yes, Jarvis Landry was part of that team. Uh, Rashard Perriman was another part of that crew. Baker Mayfield seems to succeed where it doesn't matter who the guys are. It doesn't matter what your jersey number is. If you were the open guy, I'm going to get it to you. Um, I've been screaming for a couple of weeks now about where is the tight end production with the amount that the Browns have invested in it in this offseason. Yes, Austin Hooper wasn't there today. Harrison Bryant, two touchdowns. David Njoku, a touchdown. These are a positional group that Baker Mayfield was accustomed with and comfortable with in college early in his rookie year. So I don't know if this totally tells the tale, but you got Baker back into the comfortability spot today where it was – if you're open and you're the first or the second progression, which is huge for him, it is. Because once third, fourth, that's where the stuff you know kind of gets cloudy for him. But you saw him get back to it. And look, nobody on the Cleveland Browns needed a day to feel good about themselves more than Baker Mayfield. He gets this W yeah. today. And look, getting that field goal would have been great enough to figure out in overtime. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think their first approach was we're going to play the long game here. And maybe it's no longer the case and you kind of force fed it. And these things happen in the NFL at times, big reception. We were able to get both feet down. Um, but look, it's a great incredible day. play. 
it was a hell of a play. But the thing is just for getting this team to get a victory here now where six is not the, oh, we won, but Baker, da 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 Today, the Browns won because of Baker Mayfield. And that's where you start to get like this baseball feel lineup, pitching rotation about a team where everybody's got to do their part. And today, Baker, tomorrow for this next week, nobody's going to point at number six. And I think that's important because everybody's got to feel good about themselves and feel like they're contributing. And obviously, Baker Mayfield is in that spot right now. It's pretty remarkable looking at the box score and, and see, you know, I mentioned the the yardage total, 297, 22 of 28. But Rashard Higgins, 6 for 110 is his leading receiver. Second leading receiver is Harrison Bryant, 4 for 56. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 3 for 56. That's two rookies and at best your wide receiver, 3. I mean, that's it's pretty remarkable. And it sounded like... Let's be let's be unequivocal on this. It sounded like you feel like without OBJ, that could actually be a good thing for Baker Mayfield because it allows him to just simply play within the offense rather than say, hey, I got to get 13 involved. It's it's a really difficult decision. And going further for the amount of salary cap that would be allocated to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry in a realistic world and the way this front office views things where it's, we want depth at every position. It becomes unrealistic about, you know, and and it's great that these two love each other. It's great that they're great friends, but it seems a little bit unrealistic about how this can go further and not have implications as far as other positions within the roster. Look, nobody loves Odell Beckham Jr. as a player more than I, but maybe this just isn't the best fit for Baker Mayfield and for the Cleveland Browns going further. And it's nothing against Odell, the player he is, the person that he is. But when you have that elite guy who should, you know, you say commands 10 to 12, 13, 15 targets per game, that may not be the best thing for Baker Mayfield. I, I can't I can't uh, have a conversation about the Browns right now. And I, we're <laughs> running a little bit long. Uh, but we can't have a conversation without the Browns and not talk about Miles Garrett because he has been unbelievable this year. So I'll just I'll just say it. Miles Garrett is the defensive player of the year right now, right? I couldn't agree with you more. It's 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 impact. And even still, and, and with not really much coming from the second half, um, and you expected it, and maybe, you know, obviously the Bengals you know were chipping more and they were more concerned about it. Look, I mean, the amount of turnovers he is creating. And just the ease with which he can get into the backfield. And this is always the key with any type of these awards, Peter, and you know this. It's the key of where your team might be as far as success. Right. And look, five and two, um, if they play one January game, that puts him in legitimate talk for this award. Yes, I don't see how he is not the defensive player of the year to this point. And, you know, the Ronnie Harrison, obviously, uh, recovery of the fumble, which was incredible on his part to stay in bounds. And it obviously led to more points from the Browns. It's He is just the goods. He is just that legitimate. And, you know, for when, when the Browns signed him, for the extension they signed him to, which at this point maybe kind of seems like a bargain because you got him at the right time. You signed him at the right time. But, yes. If there's, I mean, you know, for me, yes, I may be a little bit biased covering this team, but for right now, yes, he is the NFL Defensive Player of the Year. There is no doubt about it. 
as you mentioned, five and two. If you look at the schedule, they get the NFC East. They've got both New York teams. They've got Jacksonville with the AFC South. There are a lot of winnable games left on this on this schedule, and I know they got two embarrassing L's already to the Ravens and the Steelers, but those might be the only two teams they lose to all year. And if that's the case, they're they're twelve and four. I mean, that's pretty. It's pretty remarkable what they're capable of. Jeff, I appreciate it, buddy. All right, Ross Jackson and Luke Braun will be back with you tomorrow. Of course, the Tuesday Locked On NFL talking about Bears Rams. The Bears could be the number one team in the NFC. By the time you listen to this show again, that is wild. That is bananas, just as we all predicted, right? 2020 is some crazy stuff. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast network at Locked On NFL Pods. Of course, check on Locked On Packers. If you don't, maybe you're a Vikings fan, this is the perfect week. Locked On Packers, you get the matchup, everything you need to always stay Locked On NFL.